There were two types of people in the Metroplex last week. Those who were terrified by the storms and those who were fascinated by them. And often those two types of people end up married to each other (laughs) and fighting about the appropriate level of response to storms. And by the nervous laughter, some of you are sitting next to that person that did not have the appropriate level of response this past week. It's interesting how fascinated we tend to be by this. There's this whole genre of entertainment around storms. Uh, I think Storm Stories was probably the first show that came out a a good while back. And then a, a show called Storm Chasers, as if the stories of them weren't enough, we actually want to participate in them. Then we have... Tornado Chasers, we have the show uh, Tornado Hunters. It's just crazy. We're, we're fascinated by this. And essentially, Acts chapter 27 is not just the next to last chapter of the book of Acts. It's also the New Testament's version of storm stories or storm chasers. There's a lot of detail about a particular storm that the Apostle Paul finds himself in So much so that for years, historical scholars who don't actually necessarily believe in the Bible the way that we do, they've studied this chapter. They've studied this chapter to understand the science of how they built and designed uh, sailing vessels back then and how they navigated storms and what that looked like, the wind patterns at that time. This chapter is studied by people who would even say they're not sure that this book is historically accurate. I find that quite ironic. There's a lot of detail. This is the last recorded voyage of the Apostle Paul. We believe he did travel again because he's eventually going to get released from Rome, rearrested, taken back to Rome, where we believe uh, he was martyred for his faith in Jesus. But we don't necessarily have record of that in the New Testament. This is the last journey that we have a record of, and it's not a very smooth sailing final voyage to be recorded. And it also, as I said, happens to be our next to last week in the book of Acts. So grab your Bibles so we can jump in. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't normally follow along with us, today's a great day to put into practice. Let's actually grab our Bibles and follow along because we're going to look at this uh, storm story together this morning. Before we do that, let's hold up our Bibles and say our creed together before we dive in. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Acts chapter 27, page 880. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. Acts chapter 27. There's 44 verses in this chapter. And really the story carries over into the first 12 to 14 verses of chapter 28. A lot of detail um, in this storm story. Uh, we're going to do a lot of reading this morning since our students are on spring break this week. This is the only academic experience they're going to get for the week. So we're going to do a lot of reading this morning. We're going to read fast. We might skip some, uh, but I, w- I want us to read this story and then we're going to get to the end of it and kind of unpack, I think, some meaning or some truths to take away from the story. Uh, Verse number one, it was decided that we should sail for Italy. He's finally on his way to Rome. 
They delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. King Julius. Okay, no. I like to move it. Uh, and embarking, <laughs> embarking in a ship of the long word, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And Luke is just giving us details that don't necessarily um, get us where we're headed this morning. So we're going to keep moving. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for, which is not the normal treatment of a prisoner who's aboard a ship on his way to go appear before Caesar. But I want you to notice something in verse 4 here, because this is going to be the theme of the chapter. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. We're going to see that kind of verbiage over and over and over again. Long before things go really bad sideways, we're, we're going to see that there already was this opposition. Verse 5, when we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. And the centurion found a ship of Alexandria. So now they're, they're changing ships here that was sailing for Italy, put us on board. We slowed slow, uh, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived here is that word again with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, there it is again. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomon. Uh, coasting along it with difficulty. There it is again. We came to a place called Fair Havens. Well, that just sounds lovely with all this difficulty we've been having, near which was the city of Lacia. So verse 9 says this, much time had passed. So I, I know we got a lot of detail there, but this, this took a long time to finally get to this point. So this entire journey has been difficult. The winds have not been in their favor since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the, uh, the fast was already over. So he's trying to tell us what time of year it is. We are now in autumn. We're in fall. Um, the day of atonement fast was over at this point. Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So this is not a a ship that's only for the purpose of transporting prisoners. This is a cargo ship. It's a multi-purpose. It's not a a cruise ship. Uh, It's not just a prisoner ship. Uh, There's cargo aboard this that is their livelihood. He's saying, listen, I'm just telling you, this isn't going to go well. You should listen to me. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Just for clarity's sake, If you're ever on a plane and a preacher stands up and tells the pilot how to fly the plane, it's usually best to listen to the pilot. This is not necessarily a lack of wisdom on the centurion's part here. Verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Just because we are with the majority does not mean we are making wise decisions, but that is not the point of this morning's sermon. On the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, not Arizona, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend their winter there. That was going to be their plan. Verse 13. 
Now, when the south wind blew gently, well, there's the first time we've seen a positive wind in this chapter so far. Supposing that they'd obtained their purpose. They're like, oh, Paul's an idiot. We're geniuses. They weighed anchor, sailed along Crete close to the shore, but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, which was actually uh, very common between fall and winter in this part of the world and still is. Uh, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. Uh, this would have been typhoon force winds, we assume. When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. I believe that God's word is literal and historical. I also believe that we see spiritual parallels in the literal historical narratives such as this. Have you ever found in a moment, yourself in a moment, where you're just being driven along? Like, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. And this is not what I thought this was going to look like. Verse 17, or 16 rather. Running under the lee of a small island called Caldia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that it would be run aground on the citrus, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. And here, here, I want you to hear the language of this very intentional. Since we were violently storm tossed. You've seen any of those viral videos of people on a cruise ship, right? And the, the piano, grand piano is moving through. You ever seen any of those videos? That's why I can't get my wife to ever take a cruise. She's seen too many of those videos. This moment would have gone viral. The Apostle Paul's TikTok account would have been blowing up right now. We were violently storm-tossed. They began the next day to jettison the cargo. That doesn't sound like a big deal to us. But when you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, and you're literally throwing your livelihood overboard, this is a frightening situation. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands in verse 20, again, we might not understand the significance of this at first. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. The way that they would navigate when they were at sea was not with a GPS. There was no radar or sonar technology They traveled by looking at the sky, by looking at the stars. This storm lasted so long and was so thick, they had no plan that they could make. They had no attack that they could strategize. They were quite literally flying blind, only they were sailing. And all hope was abandoned. Verse 21, since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. So when you say to your spouse, I told you so, you can now say in the words of the apostle Paul, I told, I'm just kidding. Please don't, do not ever bring the Bible into your marriage fights or me for the love of Paul. 
Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. We're going to circle back and park on that verse at the end of the story. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Which means we're going to make it through this. Behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. No one's life will be lost. So he uses this phrase again. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. That it will be exactly as he told me is that if I have been told, told you. We must run aground on some island. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come. So he tells them this, but time continues to elapse here in this storm. As we're being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. They took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Sometimes when you've lost hope, you just got to put down some anchors and pray for daylight to come. We're going to circle back to that thought. Verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boat, the little lifeboats, into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Listen to me. And this time they listened to him. (laughs) The soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, let it go. And as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food saying, today's the 14th day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. I urge you, take some food. It'll give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And as he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Verse 36, make note of this. Then they were all encouraged. They did not have faith And they did not have hope. They just saw Paul's faith. They just witnessed Paul's hope. And they were encouraged. And ate some food themselves. We, I love again Luke reminding us, this is not, like he lived through this, man. He's on on board. We were, in all, 276 persons in the ship. When they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. We're going to skip down through the end of the chapter because it just gives us information about how they did indeed do that. Uh, Verse number one of, of chapter 28, when we were brought safely through, we then learned the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain 
and was cold. And then there's a fascinating story about the Apostle Paul just being a servant, carrying sticks. A snake jumps out and bites him. The natives on the island assumed, oh, that must be because he is a a violent uh, murderer. He's going to die. The Apostle Paul does not die from the snake bite. And so, uh, again, how fickle the crowd is. They go from, oh, this dude's fixing to die to, oh, we should worship him. He must be deity. But verse 7, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. Publius. He started a um, a grocery store called Publix. He received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. He must have had quite the house. There was 276 of them. It happened that the father... Publiously sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him, prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Verse 10, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And then Paul makes it to Rome, which is where we'll pick up next week. I want you to circle back with me again. We're going to park here um, to to this idea where it it tells us that they put down four anchors. Circle back to this. the, The four anchors that they put down hoping the day would come. Hoping that day would come. I, I, again, I believe this is literal and this is historical, but I want to talk to you this morning about four anchors that we can put down while we're waiting for day to come. Maybe you're not in a storm this morning. I, I said at the beginning that some of you are fascinated by storms and some of you are really frightened by storms, but the reality is all of us are either in a storm or nearing a storm or hoping to come out of a storm soon. The fact is, all of us are walking through difficulties, and Jesus himself said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a world that's full of storms. And based on the Apostle Paul's testimony on this boat, I want to give us four anchors. Until day comes, let's let down the anchor of ownership. The anchor of ownership. The Apostle Paul said, tonight I was visited by an angel of the God to whom I belong. We're in a moment in our society where we really want to be loud about who we are. We're we're on this mission of self-discovery. I want the whole world to accept and affirm and celebrate who we are. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, the hope of making it through the storms of life is not about who you are. It is about whose you are. The fact that we belong to him means I walk through a storm with a special kind of peace and a special kind of confidence that says, don't you know who I belong to? I belong to the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. This storm is nothing for him. Have you met my dad? He said, listen, he's God. He's the God. But he's the God to whom I belong. 
That personal identity that says, God, I take heart today. I am putting down an anchor today that I am yours and you are mine. And I think when the storm is is the worst, that's when we tend to think God's forgotten about us. And so if you're not in a storm today, my encouragement is put down the anchor before the storm hits that you belong to him. I, and here's the thing. I don't wish a storm on you. I, I hope you don't get bad news from the doctor. I, I hope your marriage doesn't go through a crisis. I, I hope your employment is secure. I, I hope that things go your way. I just know as a broken person doing life with broken people in a broken world that storms come. And so before the storm hits, I just want to be reminded I belong to a good and loving and faithful father. The beauty in this moment is the Apostle Paul was a prisoner. He's like, "Mm, I belong to somebody else, not to you. Until day comes. Let's let down the anchor of ownership. In that same verse, we see the second anchor. Until daylight comes, let's put down the anchor of worship. If I belong to him then I do not exist for my own glory. I exist for his. Which means I will praise him even in the storm because I belong to him. He is worthy of my worship even when it doesn't feel good. If we only worship God when the sun is shining, then we're actually worshiping either ourselves or the circumstances that he's given to us. I believe he's worthy to be praised when the sun is shining and when the storm is brewing. He's worthy to be praised because of who he is, not because of what my circumstances are. That infection of a prosperity gospel that says, because I worship God and because I belong to him, there will no longer be any storms. And then we get hit smack dab in the middle of a storm and we go, man, am I the problem? Is God the problem? And maybe the reality is it's our theology that's the problem. He's worthy to be praised whether my circumstances go my way or not. And so we we put down this anchor that says, God, remind me in a storm that I belong to you and remind me that I exist for your glory. God, find a way to bring glory to yourself in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of my difficulty. God be glorified. And the fact is, God tends to receive more glory in our hardship than when life is going our way. He's worthy to be praised. Until day comes, let's let down the anchor of ownership. God, I belong to you. And the anchor of worship. God, I exist for your glory. Number three, until day comes, Let's let down the anchor of faith. The Apostle Paul tells these frightened and discouraged men to take heart, for I have faith in God. And so we pray, God, please remind me that I belong to you. Remind me that I exist for your glory. And God, increase my faith to trust you. Gotta increase my faith to trust you in the storm. I can't see you. The northeaster is blowing, 
but I trust you. And this idea of faith helps me stay on the ship even when the storm is brewing. What we have right now is, is man, the marriage is hard. I'm just going to jump ship. The job's difficult. I'm just going to go start over somewhere else. Oh, my word, I go to a church where there's other people who act like me. I'm out of here. Oh, no, my friends disappointed me, let me down. I'm, I'm out. We're so fast to jump ship. And the hope is not to put our faith in our job or our marriage or our friends. It's to say, no, God, it's not about the circumstances or the ship that I'm sailing. It's about the God who holds me in his care. I trust you. My faith is in you. I believe. Help my unbelief. I did not intend to share this story, but I was on Thursday. I was sitting on a boat with our students on our way to see the Statue of Liberty. And I was thinking about this text. I've been excited about this sermon for for a long time, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so I was sitting there. It was actually a moment of like some silence for a minute um, because all the students were sitting in front of us and just gathering my thoughts. I'm thinking through this text. And I could kind of hear and and feel their disappointment because the weather was pretty rough. In my mind, I I wasn't necessarily all that excited about that morning because I've seen the Statue of Liberty. And every time I've seen her, she looks the same. Like she's no new outfit, like no new sandals, no new hairdo. Like, you know, I actually have a picture of the last time I saw her. Um, This was taken uh, on uh, beginning of March 2020. One week to the day. From when the TEA shut down schools for a week until they figured out what to do with this pandemic and we never went back to school again. It's so ironic that that was a week to the day before that because the sun was shining and the sky was blue and the world felt full of hope. Little did we know. <laughs> so in my mind, that's what we're taking our students to go see. But last week, As we got on the boat, it was stormy and foggy and rainy and misty. And I want you to see the picture of what instead our students saw. You are evil. (laughs) Jesus, I pray that you'd move in the hardened hearts of your people this morning in the house of the Lord. That's Katie Wrench, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to, I want us to pray in one accord for deliverance. Wow. Did you hear that evil laugh? <laughs> so as we're as we're coming up on the statue and I'm thinking about Acts chapter 27 and I hear our students kind of start to moan and groan in disappointment. This is what I thought as clear as day. I thought Just because you can't see her doesn't mean she's not there. And what's interesting is 15 seconds later, that cloud kind of parted and they got some great pictures of the Statue of Liberty. 
I just want to tell you, if you're walking through a storm today and, and you just can't see past your hand in front of your face, I just want you to know, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not present. We serve a God who cannot help but be near. And when it's at its worst, I get it, we can't see him, but that's the definition of faith. Faith is, is I believe you're present even though I can't see you. So my faith is not my ability to sense his presence, feel his presence, or see his presence. My faith is that we serve a God who is always present. And he's not just present, he's authoritatively present. Because the thing about that statue is it couldn't do anything to clear the cloud. But we serve a God who has authority over every storm we will encounter. He's present. We gotta trust in the midst of the storm. Gotta believe you're still on the throne and you're still close by. The Apostle Paul didn't see the storm as the absence of God or the absence of the sovereign reign of God. Instead, he saw it as an opportunity to point to the God of all hope. And that's our last anchor to let down until daylight comes. And that is the anchor of mission. The anchor of mission, we have a call on our life that's not dependent on the weather. We've spent the last several weeks talking about the the global missions efforts of our church since 1945. And we've asked you to commit to another fiscal year, another 12 months of our, our missions giving. You can still do that. There's a missions card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Um, we, we'd love to still see that number go up. We're, we're a little low from where we'd like to be. But this morning, I want to talk about sending money to help somebody else on mission. I want to talk to you about the fact that even in a storm, you have a call on your life. That this, these four anchors until daybreak comes are, are, are the belief system that says, God, I belong to you. I exist for your glory. Help me trust in you. And let me point other people to the hope that's found in you. God, in the midst of the storm, may I have a case of contagious hope. The Apostle Paul had so much contagious hope that they broke bread with him. And I just love that little word. They were encouraged. The storm wasn't over yet when they were encouraged. Do you see that in the text? They were encouraged before daybreak. Before the sun had shined on their face, they experienced contagious hope. And that's my calling and that's your calling in every encounter we have tomorrow. Some scholars believe that a church was established on the island of Malta. They believe that those people who heard the gospel from Paul and received healing from Paul, that a church was established. Some people think it was in Publius's house where that church and some scholars think Publius was actually the first pastor of that church. We don't know that for sure, but here's why that's believable. That's kind of what happened everywhere. The apostle Paul went, (laughs) it just makes sense. He saw himself on mission independent of his circumstances. And the fact that the, that the Apostle Paul was a fellow traveler with them was his credibility in that moment. Hang with me here for a minute. 
The fact that he was in the same storm with them earned him a level of credibility that when he began to talk about his hope and his faith and the presence of God, it it carried a weight with it. So often we want God to deliver us from the storm. But it's in the storm that our hope shines brightest to a hurting world. It's the fact that they, they realize we're people with struggles like them. It's the fact that they can see that we've been through difficulties just like them. J.D. Greer said, Demonstrating the presence of God in the storm is more powerful than calling out to them from outside the storm. Our testimony carries more credibility when they see how normal we are. By the way, including when the storm is a consequence of our own bad decisions. Our testimony still carries weight. People are not drawn to the gospel by our perfection or our beautiful circumstances. They're drawn to the gospel by broken people sharing with other broken people that there is hope even in the midst of a storm. So many of us are hesitant to share the gospel because our circumstances are bad or maybe because we're, we're afraid we'll look like a hypocrite. Here's the deal. The beauty of the gospel, the gospel is for hypocrites, y'all. We've turned that into this terrible word. We are. We believe in things that we don't always do. That's why we need to be rescued by grace. If we come across as perfect, we actually can't share the gospel. If people walk away from our life and they're jealous of how together we are, if they envy our circumstances, they envy us, that means they got the gospel of you or the gospel of me. And if they walk away going, that dude's as jacked up as me and he has hope, that's the gospel. Please don't buy into the lie that you've got to have it all together and be on the other side of your storm in order for you to be a testimony for those who need to hear the story of Jesus. Matt Chandler said one of the brightest billboards of the sufficiency and grace of Christ is our weaknesses, not our strengths. If we wait till we're perfect or until life is perfect, we are never going to be on mission. If we wait until we are perfect or until life is perfect, we are never going to live life on mission. And let's be honest, y'all. It's not like it's our togetherness that really attracts people to Jesus. And by the way, it's not our coolness either. The, The modern kind of mission to make Jesus trendy. Listen, Coolness has never rescued anybody. And that also doesn't mean that we need to intentionally do church out of touch either. But people aren't drawn to Jesus because of our togetherness or our coolness. They're drawn to Jesus because we've experienced hope in the midst of desperation. That's the draw of the gospel. That's the living hope of the gospel. When I was in middle school, we lived in upstate New York on the Finger Lake region of New York. And um, a lot of you know 
my relationship with my dad was kind of complicated, but one day he told me we were going to go fishing. We were going to rent a boat, which means spending money. We were going to buy fishing gear, which meant spending money. And we're going to go out fishing together, which meant spending time together. So basically everything about this moment was confusing to me. It's not what we did. Only time in my life I've ever been fishing with my dad. And the only time I can ever think of of being out on the water in my life at that point let alone with my dad. Seneca Lake is a, is a huge lake. And it's one of those really huge lakes that when you're out in the middle of it, you would think you're at sea. You can't see land in either direction. And those of you who spend time on water, you know how a storm can just come up out of nowhere. I mean, just from sunny to terrifying in a breath. And this was one of those days. I mean, a storm came out of nowhere and it was cold and it got really wavy on that lake. And we had rented a little boat that had just a little bigger than a trolling motor. So we're pointed towards shore and we're flying back to shore. I'm pretty sure we're going backwards, Dad. I will tell you, It's one of the most scared I've ever been. One of the reasons it was so terrifying is because it's the most scared I'd ever seen my dad before or since. It's one thing as a kid that you're like, I'm afraid. I don't know that we're going to make it back. We're in the middle of the deepest inland water lake in the Finger Lake regions. Like I can't kick off the bottom and swim ashore here. It wasn't just that I was scared. My dad was scared. We're in trouble. I've been excited for weeks to remind you this morning, your heavenly father is not scared of the storm that you're scared of. He's not shaken. He's got you and he's got this. We can have hope today because we know that we are his that he's working all things for our good and his glory we trust him because he's trustworthy we believe he's got a mission to make contagious hope available to all the people we're doing life with so if you're in a storm this morning here's a prayer I want to offer to you as, as we finish this morning a simple prayer Father I belong to you I exist for your glory. I trust you. And I want the whole world to experience this hope. Maybe you don't feel that prayer this morning. Maybe that's more cerebral than emotional for you. But maybe today this is a day we can let down an anchor until daylight comes. Father, I belong to you. I exist for your glory. I trust you. And I want the whole world, starting with the people closest to me, to experience this hope. The four anchors of the heart that offer us hope in the midst of storms.